0: Welcome to On the Continent, your
1: definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dawson Adebayo. I'm Addie Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, whatever happened to Dortmund's less sexy, more successful brand of football? It was supposed to work, wasn't it? Also, is Simeone the problem or the solution to Atletico Madrid's current malaise? Are its players the solution or the problem? And ooh la la... How has the Kylian Mbappé story taken an unexpected turn? Andy, what's happening to Dortmund? Uh, They have been unbeaten this year in eight. They lose one game, one game. And suddenly the wheels seem to be coming off. What on earth is going on?
2: Well, unbeaten in eight sounds great on paper but the devil is in the detail. And I think, you know, people wanted to believe in that break between the two years in the season, because of course, this is where it all happened for Dortmund last season. They went into the world cup and thus into 2023 in sixth place in the Bundesliga. And they came within a whisker of winning the title. Now I think, I think there are there are two parts to this. Firstly, Bayern have had their problems, as we've st- st- talked about extensively on here. Um, but like points-wise, they've, they've done okay this season, even if they've been holding the team. And of course, Leverkusen have come figuratively from nowhere and, and, and been brilliant. So this has affected Dortmund's ability to, to catch up. So even improved form is not going to have the same effect that last year second half of the season did the other part of that is if you actually look at the content of of of, of those games it's not been great and Edin Terzic they thought the coach they thought about firing him um, at Christmas and in the end they opted as we know for not one extra assistant but two extra assistants given to him and two really big personalities in Nuri Shahin, who was the coach, head coach of Antalya Sport for a couple of years until he quit to come over to, to Dortmund. Would you quit without a promise that there might be future employment prospects of a slightly higher strata? Well, I don't know. We'll discuss that in a minute. And Sven Bender was the other one who, as well, has history and history of winning at Dortmund. Again, a personality. And the idea was, in their traditional um, Christmas camp at Mallorca, they work on and Nuri Shahin had a particular brief, make them better in possession because it was all a bit chaotic and the individual quality of their players would get them a few moments that would win them some games. Obviously, this is unsustainable. It's the Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer recipe and, and that is not one for sustainable success. But not only did they slip up against Hoffenheim who were eight matches without a win by the way at Zigna Laduna Park Dortmund's home arena but it was the way that it happened so they started really badly and gave away a daft goal in a couple of minutes then they come back and they're winning at half time when Mahlen and, and, and Schlotterbeck score and then in space of three minutes they give away two completely daft goals and they end up with Mats Hummels who's not well enough to start by the way because he had gastroenteritis Stuck on to play up front. That's how many ideas they've got. A centre half playing up front because he's tall, and that is how short of ideas they were. Emily so,
1: Chown as well, almost sense forward for some of the match. Well, it's,
2: it's it's better than him doing whatever he was doing at the back earlier earlier in the game. You you, I'm you not might sure argue about that you missed
1: some scissors, but
2: they? but you know, for them to be put in that position, for those players to be put in that position is absolutely
3: a knock on the coach. I think it was just uh, risk-averse safety-first stuff. I think that's first and foremost. If you look at that unbeaten record, you actually peel the layers back from that. There's a lot of draws actually scattered in that. There's four wins from the last 14, if you want to really free it as their last you know, mm. hall of games and what have you. Against got...
0: not
2: amazing
3: teams either. No. Yeah. A nil-nil draw at Heidenheim, uh, with Heidenheim as well. Mm. You know, the things like that thrown in. Still got all the top seven teams to come as well. Um, and we touched on this when Tuchel came in on the pod, and I think there was a few impressive signs at the start. But this this move to bring him in was very much look just just get us Champions League qualification. That is first and foremost. You know everybody knows Dortmund's financial limitations, financial issues, and what have you. Um, get us that, and then it's considered job done. There's a risk now that they might actually miss that. I think because they've been so poor. I think they're unwatchable at times. I think they're a really bad side to to watch. Yeah. Um yeah. the very insecure side. And it played into that game against Hoffenheim. When somebody turns the screw against them, puts a little bit of pressure on them, you can all their frailties come to the fore. You can clearly see that. They're not a team who can uh hold on to a lead and what we'll have you there. Um and, and and that's where they are. So I'm not surprised by any of this,
1: what's going on. Is it fair to put the blame as much of the German Press is doing on one particular Jaden Sancho? Well, I think
2: Sancho is, is, is more a symptom than the actual problem, I think, because we talked about how in the first half of the season, they rejected the possibility of, of, of bringing him back um, because they didn't really feel he was a fit. They didn't really feel it was the right time. They felt it was, it, it was, it was too expensive, even though there's a lot of love for him there. And why do they end up changing their mind? That's the real question, isn't it? They end up changing their mind because they don't have a plan, because they don't have a straight line in terms of recruitment. Because the club, the team is chaotic on the pitch, being a reflection of the way it's being run on the bench and in the boardroom. And this that, sounds—that's the problem, isn't it?
3: This sounds mad to see when when you think of Dortmund um, eight, ten years ago. Uh, you know, when they came to the fall, when they when they returned again, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the club era um, and what have you. They were always um, held up as this incredible club. And when it comes to recruitment, when it comes to buying mm. law, finding these players, selling them for ridiculous prices to all of the Europe's classic elite. Um, they haven't done that for a number of years now. Sancho, obviously an outlier there. Who Who could you sell out of that team now? I don't think
2: there are a lot of candidates, are there? Whereas, like, if we go back into the, into the recent past, you go back Bellingham, Sancho, Haaland, I d- you can keep going yeah, back. Yeah, I generally don't.
3: You could go back to, you know, people like Kagawa, Goetze, Lewandowski as well. You can yeah. go right, right back. Yeah. And their recruitment is nowhere near the level of that. And I completely agree. I've had to pause there for a second while you've been speaking to think of somebody they could sell. And I honestly kind of think of it. You think of Danielle Marlin; They brought him in as well. I think for a relatively high fee for Dortmund Mm. and they're now scratting around clearly oh hopefully somebody in the Premier League comes in and gives us 50, 60 million for him he hasn't played like a 50, 60 million player because and Dortmund need to function not only for themselves as well to get the Champions League qualification or what have you and also just be a good side but they also need to function so these players can develop and they can sell on that and if
2: is if if you can't difficult. develop them you can't sell them for enough of a markup exactly so, so they
3: might they might sell marlin this summer yeah. but they won't get the markup that they hope will oh, they? absolutely not and this right. is where I mean. and this is when your recruitment when your you know philosophy has completely fallen through at all levels so yeah, this is a sizable impact on clubs as a whole
2: and yeah. sancho is is short term you know because they they know really they can't sign him in the long term unless united do them the deal of all deals and you know, maybe they'll have to because he looks so far off it at the, at the, at the moment. That, right. is, that is the problem. I mean, if you're a, a Dortmund fan who wants them to sign Jaden Sancho at, at any cost, perhaps the way that he, he has played so far is, is good news for you. Mm-hmm. Because obviously the idea of United sending him to Dortmund is to regenerate him so he has some sort of transfer value at least. So they're not making a horrendous loss on him. Who, who is buying him the way he's playing? He, he doesn't look fit. I, I mean, I don't think it's all his fault, obviously. No, I don't that. The, the, no. the way he's been handled, I think, is, is, is quite poor. But he just doesn't have the tools to succeed and to give Dortmund what they, they want at the moment. Really, what what they could really do with is bringing him out of the team for three, four weeks, getting him on some sort of remedial fitness program. Because... At the moment, it looks like he's kind of playing from muscle memory and he just can't get to the pace of the game.
1: It seemed to work when he returned. I mean, let's just talk about Sancho for a moment. I I, I wonder if it did. Oh, you don't think so?
2: I wonder if it did. I think there were a few little moments, and because it's Sancho coming back to Dortmund, we want to believe. Mm. There was never like a consistent, he's running this game. Which is what he was doing in his first spell at Borussia but Dortmund. But Dortmund were a
3: completely different side then. The Dortmund that yes. he left is completely yes. different to the one that he's returned to. And he had better players around him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Man United sent him to a club. If the goal from a United end is to revitalize him and crank up his market value and what have you, they've sent him to the wrong club for that. I know it. It was all nice. You, you, you know, the, the the thing of oh, Sancho going back to Dortmund, the place where he shone, where he made, his, you know, where he made his name. That's a beautiful story. But the reality of it is, it isn't a good environment for him still to be in because of
1: the state that Dortmund are actually in. Do they panic? Because they're still in the top four. They should be able to get something out of this season.
2: Well, I think, I think they've got two problems. Firstly, having lost this game with uh, Hoffenheim, which you know is a must win, really, if, if you're wanting Hoffenheim to make the top looked four.
1: looked like they wanted it more, is what I thought. They, looked,
2: they just looked a bit more competent. And they looked a little bit more organized. And, given, and they saw the game out quite easily, I thought, when they were 3-2 up. And given that the nick that they're in, and that not one of the better teams in the Bundesliga, that, that is a real embarrassment for Dortmund. The thing is, that has now left them, what, six points behind Stuttgart. Even though Stuttgart didn't win at the weekend, they only drew with Köln, a game that they, they should have won. So it could have been even worse for Dortmund. And, of course, the other team that did Dortmund a favor was Bayern because that late Harry Kane goal is 27th of the season in the Bundesliga, beat Leipzig and left Leipzig a point behind Dortmund in in fifth, Dortmund a fourth. So without that, you know, Dortmund are not in the top four anymore. And as David says, still got to play Stuttgart, who are a better side than them. Still got to play Leverkusen, who are a much better side than them. Still got to play Bayern and Bayern away, forget it. You know, they never win that game, do they? I mean, we can pencil in our 4-5 niler here, can't we? <laughs> They, and they've got to go to Leipzig as well. So, unless something changes really, really quickly, I just wonder if they're a game or two away from that. They have to bin be Terzic because they cannot go on like this. You're, you're saying they still have a chance of of, of getting to the, the Champions League. They do still have a chance, but they're going to run out. That They're going to make that chance diminish if they just let it drift. Now, we talked about the fixture list. If you get to the the bottom end of the season last couple of games and obviously we can't really talk about gimmies for Dortmund because they had the gimme of all gimmies to win the title last season and they didn't do it when they are in much better nick but the last few games of the season you've got a Mainz in there you have Darmstadt they need to set themselves up for that but the thing is the way they're playing at the moment and the way they're the way they're defending in particular and you've got to bear in mind that Gregor Kobel Arguably their best player is the goalkeeper is, is is out at the moment and will be for a little while. They they could have played themselves out of contention by the time they get to the winnable matches. That's that's the issue, I think.
1: Of course, if you're a Leverkusen, you must be looking at all of this and think a plague on all your houses. <laughs> you know.
2: Well if you're Leverkusen, you, you haven't got binoculars modern enough to see Dortmund from where you are (laughs) (laughs) and they're not looking backwards are they they're looking forwards you know you think last weekend you know got to a a Bundesliga record unbeaten run of 33 going past Hansi Flix Bayern who are obviously a force of nature a a couple of seasons ago and I I think that is one of the damning things if you're if you're Dortmund that you think if we were a little better run we could be what Leverkusen are. But but we're not. And I think you look at the coaching, that, that's why it comes down to the coach coaching, I think. Because you look at Xabi Alonso, and there are defenders at, in, in Leverkusen who didn't look up to elite level, who let them down time and time again. You can look at Hrudetsky, the goalkeeper, you can think the same thing. He is making those players into title winners. Whereas I think there are players with the potential to be that, at Dortmund, who are not coached well enough to be. Look at Nico Schlotterbeck. They're like To me, who looks like a good footballer, he doesn't look anything near a defender, which is terrible when you're a centre-back. And, you know, you feel every time he's in the opposition penalty box and scoring a goal, he's making up for the mistake he's either made before or he's going to make later in the game. And the fact that Xabi Alonso, as an authentically excellent coach, has coached players to be the best they can possibly be, I think puts into real
1: like crystal clear vision exactly what the problems at Dortmund are. At the risk of David not speaking to me for the rest of this pod, I do think there is, it is worth examining when a coach mentions sexy football, David's not a Geordie But I do think, (laughs) I do think they're digging themselves a hole. Why, why on earth make a statement like "less sexy, more successful"? Because you're begging, aren't you, for for it all to fall apart? And especially when someone like Edin Terzic
2: has come from the terraces at Borussia Dortmund. Well, there you go. He knows that the way you play, the passion with which you play, Mm. is so important. Mm. You know, the thing is, they never took to Thomas Tuchel. Not because he wasn't
3: successful, because he had some moments of really quite good success there,
2: but because they didn't feel... It was the robotic. Click. They didn't feel the warmth, exactly. It was robotic.
3: And I think Dortmund need to play a certain way um, the ingrains that feeling on the terraces. Um, and right now, they're extremely, extremely flat.
2: Do you, th- do you think... I, I, I'm talking in a utopia sense, not in a realistic sense here. Two sort of damaged brands in... Dortmund and Pochettino could be quite good for each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a show.
0: <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't
1: find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect
0: role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.
1: Diego Simeone is, well, supporting his players at Atleti, but they are struggling at the moment, aren't they, to to make themselves or to make something of their season. If there's a lot still to be played for, and we're coming to the Copperdale Ray in a moment or two, but nevertheless, he is supportive of his players. A coach that you've seen in the past being very, very angry hmm. at his players when they're not playing the way that he wants them to play. What's going on?
3: Yeah, he's supporting them, and I think, above all, he's protecting them. Um, I think he knows that right now everything at Leti is pretty fragile um I think they had an incredible start of the season they had an incredible finish to the year they were they really were looking special um but I think the squad limitations are now coming to roost um very much it's not something that you know wasn't discussed a lot of people were aware of it they looked at letty's business in the summer um it was seen as disappointing yet again um and you know, some of those players even left in January as well. Such was the failure of their, them to integrate. Um, Leti found and Simeone are found once again. The, the backs are against the wall with it because there's not much there to work with. I think the confidence has gone out of the squad a little bit, and it's up to Simeone to use that incredible motive motivation um, that, that he brings to the to the to the entire club. I think he's. I always say he's he's keeping this club afloat. And he doesn't just clean the team, keep the team on the pitcher floor, but the entire club as well. I think without him, it falls down. So now he has to motivate them once again. And and, and that's why we see a different demeanor from Simeone on the touchline, in the press room. He says things that he perhaps wouldn't have before. Um, He's not. Slaughtering the players as openly as he he's used to. I say slaughter. You know, criticizing them when they're on the pitch and everything. There's been a lot of high-profile incidents of you know Yannick Carrasco before losing the ball in certain key areas and and such. Um, And Simeone has been very animated about that. He's less animated now because I think he knows that where the where the team is currently at.
2: Yeah, I guess that's the amazing thing to me. So you see them going to Almeria last weekend, a team who are bottom of La Liga, who haven't won all season. And came very, very close to doing so with the last kick of the game against mm-hmm. Adleti. But before that, I think you look at the fact that Aletti gave away the lead twice, that Alvaro Morata missed some golden chances, including an absolutely unmissable one in stoppage time that he nevertheless did miss. And at that moment... He's got when, a miss in him though, hasn't he? Oh, he definitely has. But when that goes over the top, Simeone, rather than like tearing his hair out or whatever... Turns around like the sort of kindergarten teacher, does a little clap and,
1: come on, lads. Good effort.
2: It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And I don't
3: think he's lost the fire. I just think he has to operate with a different tact towards the players now.
2: But is that what
1: Atleti need now?
2: Well, I think, what other option does he have, I would say? Because if you look at it, David talked about the squad limitations. I mean, what was clear after this extraordinary 2023, because, you know, people have an idea of Simeone and what he's like. Whereas it's a little bit more evolved
3: than that. And he's, I think, he's, I think he's, so. He's changed, hasn't he? If, if um, you are still resorting to the old stereotypes of like Atleti, then you haven't watched three games they've played this season.
2: Yeah, that that that's right. I, I think we can we can get to their markedly different. Team. We can get to their flaky defending in it in, in a minute. <laughs> but I think when when you look at the the fact that they they had this amazing twenty twenty three, as David was saying, which really saved Simeone at the club. It sort of rehabilitated him. Um, switch the focus away from him maybe planning an exit or the club maybe planning an exit to let's keep this going, let's give you a new contract, this is still good, we can renew we can move move forward and as David says, the idea really of him as a sticking plaster for the investment they are not making as, as as well. But it was clear, even when it was going well the back end of last season they cannot keep running Antoine Griezmann and Coquet into the ground. You know, two players who were especially Griezmann obviously were phenomenal in 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 2023 but you can't keep leaning on them this heavily because even Griezmann at some point is going to say right well, his body is going to say enough is enough and that is exactly what has happened you know he's he's, he's not been in the in the team for the last couple of games he, he won't play the second leg of the the semi-final against athletic it looks like which is a huge task by the way and I know David you want to come to that in a in in, in a minute but the fact is, what can he do when he's got like such limited resources? He can't really tear out the players because he, ne- he needs them. He needs yeah. every single one of them. So he needs to work with them, even if it's like not his ideal right back or his ideal centre back or, or, or whatever. He needs to work on the confidence of those players. So there's got to be a, a little bit more carrot and a little less stick than traditional Simeone if that makes sense mm.
3: there's never any talk anymore of who Atleti are buying it's always about who they're selling and as that happened happened again in January and there was a lot of talk about Korea potentially going to Saudi Arabia that persists and there's other players as well who's been linked with moves and
2: they would have got a low to replace him wouldn't yeah they?
3: exactly and it'll be another summer of that it'll be freeze and Lawrence um, you know take the centre-back position is a, a great example we're not living in the Godin-Miranda era anymore this incredible mm. parent um, it's very patched up. We've got Alex Witzel brought in, defensive midfielder, identified as basically replacing Thomas Partier, who went to Arsenal long term. Uh, you know, for a short-term fix, of course. Even that hasn't worked out. He's had to play at centre-back because at centre-back, Jimenez is constantly injured. He always has been. Everybody knows this. The club knows this. Simeone knows this. So he pushed for a centre-back, couldn't get one. So he said, right, I'm going to make Axel Witzel uh, a centre-back. He's done okay there. He's not been terrible, but look, this isn't a long-term solution. He's got Savage there, agent another agent defender. Um, so there's no
2: pace really. No, no, defense, exactly.
3: Sayonku came from Leicester. He's already gone. He, you know that didn't work out either. They need. I don't know how many years now has gone past where they haven't addressed this centre back position, which has been a troubled area for for a long, long time now. Um, and that just goes to show how the club operates. It wouldn't be surprising me if they sold another centre-back and not replaced them. It just, that's just how they operate and what Simeone has to deal with. He's had a convert to convert so many players' positions and people always laugh and say, oh, Simeone is converting him to a defensive midfielder or oh, he's converting him to a fullback." Sometimes he has to. Llorente, Barrios, um, Raquel May. They're, they're all being converted in different ways by Simeone. Not because I think he really wants to; it's because he has to. It's the only solution that he's got. Um, see, if he was your Jesus, he'd be sitting there going, "Look how clever I am! Yeah, yeah, I'm
2: so smart." Exactly. <laughs> and, he, and he and
3: he maybe needs to go go the Harry Redknapp route and just you know not put a centre back on the bench and just say, "Hey, hey, come and help me here." <laughs>
1: yeah, go get, of yeah. get the window. Has it <laughs> been uh, Griezmann that Andy referred to that has been? Uh, the key to unlocking the problems that uh, Atleti have had. Yeah. And last season, for example, coming yeah. off the back of the World Cup, he arguably saved Simeone. Then. Well, he's, he's, the, he's
2: the ultimate Superman player, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Like, like the thing is, Simeone and him connect yeah. in, in the way they see football, in the way that football's played, in in the unreasonable amount that they're prepared to put into it. But, of course, that means that eventually, as we said, you're going to hit a brick wall. And it is really interesting. I think if you go throughout 2023, we talked about, the, you talked to David about how the demeanour of, of of Simeone had changed. He was talking like he was Griezmann's agent for a, a, a hmm. lot of last year. He's he's like, oh, he's, he's, he's the greatest. He's one of the greatest players in the world. He's maybe the greatest player who's ever played for Atletico. And it's, it's just like, yeah, all right, we get you like him. <laughs> and you said that last week. Yeah. It's fine. But, it just it just felt that he has felt that, like you know I owe you so much. Yeah, you don't really see that between a coach and a player. No, no,
3: you? you don't. And and look, Reizman's Superman. He absolutely is, but only to an extent. Again, he he can't play a centre back. You know th- these areas you know, do need permanently fixing. You can't just keep sticking plasters everywhere. There has to be. They have to sit down at some point, and it's going to be in the summer. And Simeone really has to say, All right, where do we go as a club? Do you want another season of this? Or do you actually want to kind of revamp things and go in a certain direction where I can, you know, have a real squad to
1: work with and talent level to work with? Then why doesn't he say that? Because um, what we're hearing from him at the end of that Almeria game yeah. was, um, I'll take responsibility for I, everything. Why doesn't he turn it round I, and say, look, the club's got to take responsibility for I think he does.
3: I think he does. I think every January, every summer, I think he does. But the club just say, oh, but there's no money there. But they're taking... Look, they, they, this they, this is then their, another discussion about what's going on at Letty at the top and who's running that Letty and the people are, and, you know, some shady characters, shall we say. So, you know, there's, there's certain limitations as to what Simeone can ask and what he can get. It's- but the resources
2: now compared to... I, I realise they're running a much bigger wage bill, of course, but not as big a wage bill as a couple of years ago. If you look at the money they bring in, really due to him... You know, they were never a consistent Champions League club before Simeone got there. They didn't win stuff before Simeone got got there. And now they're in this enormous stadium
3: that they sell
2: out a lot of the time. As, yeah, it's, as, as the well. house that,
3: it's the house that Simeone built. Exactly. That stadium wouldn't be filled if it wasn't for what Simeone has done, as well as everything else. Certain players wouldn't come to the club as well. But they're still in this beg, steal and borrow mode. This summer comes up, they're going to have to sell somebody for 40 50 million if they want a new centre back and they want a new striker. And he'll be and they'll go, Oh, there's your 50 million, but you have to get two players with that. Oh, and by the way, you are losing one of your best players as well. And that is the way that they operate, so something needs to change there as a whole. You look at the game against Inter Inter, were just so, so much better than them, Those they like, were weren't in they? a completely yeah. different place. Um, and a lot of the came down. I mean, Inter are a fantastic unit, fantastic team, but if you look at where Atleti slipped up. There's a lot of individual errors, a lot of slips, a lot of mistakes. And that comes down to not having that required quality there. It comes down to being knackered as well when you have to play all the the games. Yeah, yeah, you you, you, you get more complacent. But I think the the difference in quality, uh, you you can never question Atleti as a unit, as a team. They're always together, incredible bond. They all work for each other, absolutely. But it's quality. At some point, Atleti need more of
2: it. When you talk about that quality, I mean, these two games, really, you talked about um, the the second leg of the Metropolitano of the game yeah. that Inter against Inter that's going to come up. Obviously, that 1-0 advantage for Inter would be more of an advantage if we were still in the away goals era. I still think it makes Inter heavy
3: favourites. I do as well. To, to, I think both, I think Atleti concede there, definitely as well. I think both mm. teams score, but Atleti will not keep a clean sheet in that game. Yeah, I'd be no, shocked if they did.
2: No way. And I, I think if if we come to shorter term, the... One that they really could win, the the Copa del Rey, which of course they haven't won since what 2013, um, against Athletic. I think because their away form is so bad, the chance is already gone, I think. Also, Athletic are maybe a better team than them as well.
3: Athletic are a better team than them right now. Um, there's something about them in the Cups as well. Athletic love a cup and you know everybody knows about Bilbao and the momentum that you know that they have in that city I think when their team is performing well and they're performing very well. One and, elephant away game isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I would not want to be facing Ernesto Valverde with any team let alone this athletic team that is young exciting uh, very confident at the moment and could cause atleti a lot of problems i definitely hope we can talk about them in, in, in a couple of weeks on on the continent a bit a little bit more because i think it's a great cool. story what's going on athletic right there under valveda who's kind of persecuted at barcelona you would say so that's a horrible game for atleti to to have to face so
1: so uh, and we don't normally predict uh <laughs> so you've, you've given us two predictions there potentially with atleti on the one hand um, later on today uh they will meet Athletic in the second leg of the Copa del Rey, and we're predicting that it will be a miracle if they come out of that. I
3: let you going out of both cups for me, Champions League and Copa del Champions, Rey. I'm, that, I'm happy what,
1: to stand by that. So yeah, what but. have they got left to play? And why does Diego make the top four? Yeah,
3: because it's close between
2: them and Athletic, and I think if you look at the point differential between Atletico at home and Atletico away.
3: That makes it really tight, I think. Really tight. And this comes down to what we've just been discussing. They've only got a squad to focus on one competition, and that is going to be a big finish in La
1: Liga. They can't handle all these competitions. Top four. That's the best they can hope for this season. Yeah. Why does Diego Simeone stay? Because... He loves the club. He loves it so he, much.
3: He loves it, he loves it so club. He, and, and so, he loves the club so much. And, he could
1: walk into loads uh, of other jobs, couldn't uh, he? Uh, but, wife, but
3: he too. would walk straight
1: out of them yeah, pretty quickly. The grass as, isn't as necessarily as
3: well. always greener. He's got, he's, as bad as it is at Letty, he has got a lovely life there in terms of knowing the club and how it operates and what have you, rather than, say, getting thrown into the madhouse that is Chelsea.
2: I mean, did you see that Amazon series on him? Like, the barbecue he has, the Argentinian barbecue he has at home. I mean, come on. He ain't moving anywhere. Like, if you got that, Frey-Bentos.
1: What? <laughs> well, that's what I could think about. Um, Maybe if you're Charlton manager. Yeah. <laughs> Arguably, still talked about as the world's potentially greatest player. Imagine this situation. I'm talking about Kylian Mbappé now. And we know that his future will take some kind of a uh, decisive moment uh, come the end of the season, one way or another. But imagine you're PSG, you're 1-0 down, and you take off arguably the world's best player. What on earth is going on there with Kylian Mbappe? Well,
2: that is the question, isn't it? And something that he wasn't very happy about either because he'd been quite angry the week before when he was a sub away at Nantes. He didn't take that well at all. He came on as substitute, scored scored in that game later on. after winning the penalty, you put it away. And um, then he starts a home game against Wren. They're not playing particularly well. But I don't know why, you, when you're 1 0 down, you, you you take off your best player. And Luis Enrique framed it afterwards well, we're going to have to learn sooner or later to, to play without him. And so it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Are his, to paraphrase Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction, his Paris privileges revoked? <laughs> but because he was untouchable before this. Mm. And in some ways it felt all the same because first people, first name on the sheet. As yeah, well, exactly. As people, people wondered how he would be received. You know, the first home game, how would he be received by the ultras since it had become clear that he would told the club that he was going to leave and yet he got a good reception and then it didn't really happen. Now, I kind of understand where Luis Enrique is coming from because he will have to work out a way to play without Kylian Mbappe, and maybe he's thinking, "Well, legal. Let's be honest. We've we've got it won anyway. So maybe I need to have a little bit of experiment." Interestingly, talking of uh, winning and scoring penalties, Gonzalo Ramos in what can only be described as a complete manufacturing of a penalty did that and got psg a draw in the end of that so maybe if you lewis enrico you can sit there "Ah, my 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 sub works but i think is really interesting in terms of how you project as psg like you want to be you want to have that stardust you want to have that magnetism that you've always had now it's not always about saying, well, you know, this is, this is the best thing development-wise for the, for the team, is it? You know, you've got to remain relevant and you can't be trying to, to win the games and surely that means leaving Mbappe on the pitch.
3: <laughs> I mean, he's not gone yet. He's still there. He's still getting paid. You might yeah. as well make the most of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to yeah. have quite a long time. You're going to have pre-season, what have you, or, you know, to work out how to play without him mm. with a new player that you probably bring in. I just don't think now's the time to say, oh, we're moving on from Mbappe when there's still so much to, to work out. Um, I guess the
2: question is, right, it's been suggested in France, has he got instruction from upstairs to reduce Mbappe's playing time? Now, Luis Enrique being Luis Enrique, I think he's the kind of guy who's just gonna do what he wants anyway. to
3: th- I do as well. I and I do love this quote and I I, I laughed when I saw it, I was like, that's the most Luis Enrique quote I've ever seen. <laughs> when I want to play him, I will. But when I don't, I won't. <laughs> 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 that is, you could tell me who said this and I'd be alright, oh, that was that's Luis Enrique. Great <laughs> out of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. That, that is Pulp Feature, the truth. <laughs> and, <three. laughs> and um yeah, it is why I love him, but I can imagine it's why a lot of people hate him as well. Um yeah, I still think you've got to play it pop Um because uh, this might be a nice little segue this is all becoming a little bit political isn't it
2: it has do you know, do you know what before we get to that that, that bit David I, I think the thing is we were talking about this earlier Don, of, of, of Mike the, the fact that PSG has to have a certain star quality as we were talking about they have to get not just a replacement as David was saying but a star replacement you need to treat your stars nicely because otherwise, football's a small community, isn't it? If you're a potential star player looking to get in there, and I think whatever you think of the way that Kylian Mbappe has conducted himself since he signed his contract extension at at PSG, and I know a lot of people think he wants to run the club, he's selfish, he only cares about himself, he behaves like a brat. Well, all of those things may or may not be true, but what is also true is the way that PSG have handled it the way they tried to force him to leave last summer, the way they left him out, said, unless you sign a new contract or accept a a, um, a transfer, then you're not getting in the team. And he essentially had to pay to get back in the team by leaving his loyalty bonus on the table. It's just and bonkers. It is. And now this is happening. If you're a star player, would you think? I'm not really into this. I, I actually quite want to be like respected and of treated course. well. And paid well. And, and like, obviously, you're going to be paid well at, at, at PSG. But the idea that, you know, if you have a disagreement with a the club, they're going to essentially try and break your career.
1: How, how much of a turnoff is that for the biggest players? You see, I don't think it's about money. When you're on that level. Uh, it's, it's, about, money, it's about respect and recognition. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, really money, about, uh, the uh, money reflects that respect, doesn't ex- it?
2: Exactly. It's, it's not about the money itself. It's about the respect that that money implies.
1: Yeah, and, and given that, and dare I say it, Mbappe it, for French football, he's bigger than PSG. Mm. For French football, he um, arguably is the Probably most that. significant. But PSG have respected him, though.
3: They've given him everything that he's wanted and more. I don't have know, they? If, uh, really. Until, when it comes to you know <laughs> bringing in certain players that he wants, the direction of the club, and everything, he's had but a big that, influence on that. No, but they I did. That, they it, did.
2: Know. They did that a year late.
3: All right. Okay. They
2: did that a year late, and by that point, he's thinking, "Yeah, this this, this isn't going the way I wanted it. Yeah. You've broken all your promises because I, I think they made promises to him that they knew they couldn't keep. You know, a regeneration that wasn't right. entirely possible while Neymar was still on the books. Unfortunately for them, the opportunity to get rid of Neymar miraculously
3: yeah, opened up with 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 Saudi. So when he signed that contract, are you saying he was promised the world on the yes. bills? Right. Okay. Because I always I, I think that that's this is my big problem with mbappe as a player and mm. i think i think a wider, you know you a lot ca- of people have it a lot of casual football yeah. fans will have that same and I say agree. why did he sign that contract i think personally even if the earth and the moon are offered to you i think he should have said look my career isn't Going to go in an upward trajectory by staying here and signing this contract, no matter what they give me.
2: Yeah, I, I think he could have been smart enough because he's clearly a very intelligent bloke. Yeah. Um, he should have seen that it wasn't possible for those promises to be fulfilled while Neymar was still there and they had no way of getting rid of him. Yeah. So I think he believed what he wanted to believe to a certain extent.
3: Abs- no, absolutely. And I think if he had genuine designs on being the best player in the world, in being the face of football, with Ronaldo going to Saudi Messi going to MLS Mm. if he had genuine designs on that then I think he should have been stronger to say like no matter what they throw at me when I go in this room when I meet Al-Khalafi when I meet whoever it may be I'm going but resisting that pressure is one thing resisting presidential pressure
1: is something else let's come to that in just one moment because the one thing I would like to it's an important point Mm. Andy but the one thing I would like to ask you David who did it benefit that Mbappe decided to stay at PSG. Who did it benefit? Who did it benefit the most? Yes. PSG. Exactly. So now they've treated him subsequently now over the last few weeks with huge disrespect. Imagine that. He sacrificed a lot to stay at PSG. Mm -hmm. And now they're taking him off. They're bringing him on as a sub like he was, you know, a, a teenage... Um, teenage player or something like that Mm -hmm. it's how you leave the club that's important but the weird thing is Don and and you're only as good as the way that you leave the club I would have thought and
2: the the emir of Qatar is still hoping
1: against hope that he can get him to sign again while he's in France how is he going to do that when Luis Enrique's doing this there's no chance of it now let's bring in the presidential thing what on earth has President Macron got to do with this this was extraordinary
3: this Wasn't was it? this was yeah, this was a real surreal gathering and situation. So we've got this meeting
2: at the Elise um between uh Emmanuel Macron, uh Nasser El Khalafi, the Emir of Qatar is there, and Kylian Mbappe is there as well this week. And so a lot of people I are, why. are looking at that and honestly. Now, as we say that the Emir is asking for 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 something he's he's trying to get mbappe to still stay because you know this is a man who doesn't take no for an answer and 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 fair enough until the ink is on the real madrid contract why wouldn't you keep trying to re-sign him macron has a, he had a big role in getting mbappe to re-sign for psg and you know maybe just maybe that's the reason why mbappe didn't want to be photographed next to him at the world cup final in December later that year because he's like this is all your fault this is all your fault that I signed for this again it's still a madhouse and they still haven't got the players I want and we've still got Neymar but it's a mess and we're not going to win the Champions League and all the rest of it but Macron has been very keen to use Mbappe for political capital Um, it's just that Mbappe kind of worked that out and has Mm. tried to distance himself from that but again he's doing PSG another favour by going along to this, and he's continued actually to possibly against his better judgment do PSG favours of you know I will leave that signing on money on the table um, in order to play. I will um, uh, not announce my move to Real Madrid while we're still in the Champions League because you know that that might demean us a little bit, Uh, you know. And they're, they're still saying to me, well, you know, to show the appreciation of your time at Paris. Maybe you could give us a little bit of your signing on for, uh, for Real Madrid. It absolutely beggars belief. But I think the really interesting thing about this um, meeting between uh, Macron, Mbappe, um, al Khalafi, and the Emir is that the French domestic TV contract is running out at the end of this season, as we know. Now, we've talked about how PSG might replace Mbappe. It's not just about them, is it? How can. The French championship. How can Ligue 1 replace Mbappe? Because trying to sell that product, and it's been very difficult negotiations because really the league has completely burnt their relationship with Canal Plus, who were their, their long term partner, is very, very sticky there. They have got to find an acceptable level of new TV deal without the biggest star trumpeting it. So, how do they sell it nationally and internationally? Now, I suspect Macron has has been saying, because obviously it's for the good of the French economy if they can do that. like The implosion of the value of of Ligue 1 is is not a great thing. They will be saying to um, the Emir and to Al-Khalafi, who runs BN Sport, of course, who've held some of the rights and sub-licensed in recent years, some of the rights to uh, the, the French Championship, how about you make a bit of a run for it? Because PSG need there to be a good TV deal as well. You may think, oh, this only app matters to the other clubs. So, you know, maybe we're even looking below Rennes and Lyon and Marseille and all those. Maybe it matters the most to to Lorient and Strasbourg and, 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 and teams like that. But actually, it matters to PSG as well. Because if the rights, the value of the TV rights in France plummets, PSG is stuffed FFP-wise absolutely yeah. stuffed
3: they're weird just the turnover ratio is still sky high in the 80s 90s as but, well but
2: could, could this be the, the ultimate FFP workaround that essentially the owners of PSG buy the major part or a major part of the rights to French football sort of giving themselves money and putting themselves in a position where FFP-wise, everything's fine. You're a genius.
1: Yeah. He's a flipping She's genius. Figuring, isn't he, should, he? he
3: should have been in the meeting.
1: Yeah, well, I think he was. <laughs> Are they that's geniuses? That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I'd ask. <laughs> but the point is valid. Um, that arguably Mbappé was at that meeting, not just for PSG, but arguably for the whole of French football. Yeah. He represents, yeah. you know, totally. the, the reason why we talk about Ligue 1. He represents that, doesn't he? And we'll definitely come back to
2: talking about how do they replace him not just as a player, but as a star. And that goes for the league as well as for PSG, I think.
3: And look, La Liga had this issue as well when Ronaldo and Messi left. So there's precedent here of how they moved on from it. And do, do you they, think... they've, they've struck gold with Jude Bellingham, who is, who is I think, really ascendant to that level. Yeah. And then obviously Mbappe is going to go there as well. So La Liga might see itself that this might have a... Kind of financial renaissance of some sorts, because they, because if Legons is going to go down, the Ligas is going to, they're going to go. Oh, we want a bit extra cash. We've got Mbappe. Oh, we've got Bellingham now as well. Oh, Vinny Junior as well. He's he's quite a big star as well. Do, Do you think the logical next
2: move is for Javier Tebas to leave the presidency of La Liga, go to? the LFP, take over from Vincent Lebrun and then just sit there
3: complaining about all his best players again, Nick. It, it, it might be. Somebody should ask him because he really loves
1: talking and I'm sure he would give you a great answer on that. As well. <laughs> and his genius is lost on us, I'm telling you. Um, okay, <laughs> we will return to this, obviously. Uh, but it is a time to ask both of you to recommend a game of the week for us to uh, watch And a food pairing to go, because we need something to eat as well. Do you want to go first, Andy? Oh, we always need something to eat. Of course. So let's Uh, start with that, if you like. (laughs) Well, well, you know
2: what? We're going to start on on, on Sunday afternoon. I, I think it could be... A roast with currywurst side, perhaps. Ooh. because we're going to Germany. You go for the... currywurst
3: every week, and I thought <laughs> I hope the listener is going to pick up on this and see brass. Do you eat anything else?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, any, any, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like I think you can have sauerkraut for Sunday lunch, and it's fine. Mm. Any, any, anyway, like little clue there. We're going for um, a derby on Sunday afternoon, two uh, thirty kickoff UK. FC Köln against by Leverkusen. Now, Leverkusen, as we said, absolutely unbelievable. Maybe even the best team in Europe. So, certainly, them and Inter, if we look outside the Premier League teams, if we look outside Manchester City and Liverpool, are as, as good as it gets at, at the moment. Um, and maybe Arsenal, of course. But um, Köln have had a lot of difficulties this season. Uh, changed coach with a very uh, popular Stefan Baumgart leaving. Um, at Christmas and being be, being replaced by Timo Schultz, so they're kind of improving a little bit, but not really quick enough. To me, it looks like the best they can get is the playoff position, the relegation playoff position, because there's quite a gap that's developed between third from bottom and, and, and fourth from bottom, with Union and Bochum improving in, in in recent weeks. So, like this should be an absolute walkover. Like Leverkusen are so much better than them, I can't even put it into words, but. It is a derby. And but when you play at the Ryan Energy Stadion, the the Mungsdorfer, the, the, like the atmosphere there is unbelievable. Derek Ray, I'm sure, will be there singing along to Locke Loman slash mm. the, the, the FC Köln anthem is one of the anthems of European football. So don't just turn this on one minute in, right? When you watch it on television, make sure you're a good five minutes early, because you'll see the cheerleaders. Doing their human pyramid and then coming down to form the sort of corridor uh, to welcome the players on the pitch and the bit where they have the anthem, everyone's singing it on the state in the stadium, and then they kill it and the fans keep singing it. It's one of the things to
1: enjoy. It's like bubbles, isn't it? Level up.
2: Well, one of the things to enjoy in European football. is magnificent.
1: And going back to your curry vorts, curry vorts, or whatever you want to call it, uh, the headline in the, you might have seen it, Daily Star today was, let them eat flake. Was it? Yeah. Because the boss of cornflakes says, well, if you can't afford to eat food, eat some cornflakes for lunch, for breakfast, and for supper. Which proves the point that David was just saying about you, let him eat curry so verts. Uh, so, what would you recommend then, David?
3: Yes, Sunday, 8 pm, Sam Mamez, Athletic Club versus Barcelona. The, uh, the Ernesto Valverde game. Um, obviously. Why is it called that? Uh, well, because the way that I think he was treated when he was in Barcelona, yeah. like some sort of jobber who'd kind of stumbled into this job, in theory, he actually did really well there. And he's performing brilliantly at the Athletic Club right now. Um, and I think, look, he's not a, a vengeful man, but he is really going to want to win this one. But maybe
2: he's on the inside.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, athletic games against Barcelona at San down the years have been sensational. Um, there's so many classics there. I'll never forget that howling, windy, rainy night when. Fernando Amor-Babieta was just chasing Lionel Messi around the pitch (laughs) all night, trying to scythe them down, skidding about everywhere. Got him a few times. Messi kept getting up. We had a And Herrera brilliant finish as well. There's just so many great moments from the two clubs down the years. Earlier,
2: earlier in the season, in the Copa del Rey, yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. When they come together, just a great. I think you know the the, the Catalan Basque element as well. It's um it, it, it it's fantastic. It really really is. So that that's a must watch. I think on, on Saturday night and Athletic as well can. So Atleti play earlier in the day. If if they don't win. Athletic can go level on points with them as well, which is also a bit of an added incentive. Mm-hmm. Athletic are really a team to watch when it comes to the you know the final stage of the season. Um, what are you eating? Oh, right, uh, So uh,
1: give him oh. a break.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I think with it, with us being in the Basque Country, with us being in Bilbao, we have to go for a little show Okay, yeah. Okay, I mean, Pinchot. I say, I say, I say a little, but what I'm putting on the pincho, you know, what is, it, a pinch-o? is not so.
2: It's, it's it's like Basque tapas. Yeah, basically. yeah.
3: Uh, They're all okay. just uh, think of a bar. Little plates of food there, mm. and they're all on sticks. Mm. Um, and what you can do is, when you're in bars, you take them off there and everything. And at the end, before when you settle your bill, they just count how many sticks you've got on your plate. And oh, like, all right, cool, you've had that clever. many. So yeah, we, I tell you, I tell you, we're gonna go for something heavy. So my favourite is uh, usually morcilla on bread, so the mm. Spanish blood sausage, essentially some black pudding <laughs> on a, on a bit of bread. Yeah, I mean, it, it it works. It really does. It's quite sausage heavy. Yeah, I was I was gonna say this. This people listen to this like holding their bellies. Just go, oh great.
1: But yeah, that's, that's my recommendation. It's a northern thing, that black pudding. Trust me, I've tried it.
3: It's a northern <laughs> all thing. All right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a piece go pudding you next time. There you go. Next time
1: on the pod, I'm going for that. Thank, <laughs> you. Thank you for listening to On The Continent. And do make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure you subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode.
0: On the Continent is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.